Galatians 5, we're going to read 1 through 6. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, Galatians 5.1. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again, verse 3, to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Father, thank you for uh, what's already happened this morning. Thank you for each precious person that's come here with a heart to hear from you. We all need to hear from you. Our world is uh, in many ways hemorrhaging, fearful, discontented, and maybe even confused about what life is about, what really matters in life. We can so widely miss that mark even in the church. So would you help us this morning as we talk about things that really matter to simplify everything, to seek your heart, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. You promise that when we do that, you'll add everything back to us. We love you, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. What would, you, what would your life look like in the next week? If you lived, spoke, worked, loved only for what really matters. Do you know what really matters? Has your life come to that place where you could say, you know what, I know what the bullseye is and this is what I'm shooting for. This is the mark. This is what I am supposed to be living for. And everything else is going to take second place to that. That can be a journey in and of itself just to find out what the mark actually is. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What does that look like? Uh, how do I get away from being so focused on the peripherals, so uh, maybe dug into the minutia? How can I get my focus where it needs to be? We live in a crazy world right now. The coronavirus is the latest thing, right? The markets plummeted uh, this last week, took some big hits. So if you're in the stock market, my heart goes out to you. Uh, anyway, we'll leave it at that. But what Paul's after in our text, and we're just going to deal with a few verses, and this will move us into the Lord's Supper, is something that Jesus talked about. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And, he, and the things that he was talking about is the things we worry about. And we worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Certainly we worry about how to take care of our families. Certainly we worry about the economy. We worry about the health of our loved ones. We worry about emotional and spiritual health. There's a lot of things that could be on your heart this morning that kind of get you off focus. And we're all there. You know, we all fight it. We all 
want to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, but it sounds easy until you try it, right? It can be hard. Verse 6 is a key focus this morning. This is the NIV rendering of it. The only thing that counts, Galatians 5, 6, is faith expressing itself through love. How would your life be different if Galatians 5, 6 was the mark for the next week? Can I challenge you that that would be your mark for the next week? Faith expressing itself through love. Faith does have an expression. The main expression of saving faith is spirit-driven love. If you're taking notes, write that down. The main expression of saving faith is spirit-directed love. And in Galatians, we've been spending a lot of time on doctrine. And we, and God bless you if you remember this, but in the beginning, we titled the whole teaching of Galatians, Defending and Living the Gospel. God bless you if you remember that. I had to remind myself what we started with. And in defending and living the gospel, you can see the two aspects of what our message is about this morning. It's about defending the gospel because we have to understand that an essential teaching of the historic Christian faith has been put before us for many months now. And here's what it is. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. In fact, the evangelical community of professing Christians, I think early in the 1900s, came up with five essential doctrines of the faith. And the first one on that list, driven into my heart and mind as I attended classes at Simon Greenleaf University in the 90s, was that we are saved by grace through faith. It's in Christ alone. It's by faith alone it's plus nothing. So some of you who have been on this ride with us in Galatians may be thinking, why this emphasis over and over and over again? Because this is an essential doctrine, and this is how we defend the gospel. If you try to add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ, and let's just say it's something religious that you think you need to do, then you're saying there needs to be something more than the Atoning death of Jesus, the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not quite enough. And there's been isms and cults and world religions that have been saying that for thousands of years. They've been saying, you can't simply just say you're saved by God's grace and you just place, place your faith in God and that's the end of the story. There must be more to it. But if you say that, you're on dangerous ground because you're saying that Christ blood, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection is not enough. God forbid that we would ever say that. God forbid that we would say, well, there's something more that you have to do. No, Christ's atonement is perfectly suited to deal with my sin and to make me righteous before God. Amen? So when Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, Remember, that could be rendered paid in full. Oh, you guys are such great students of the Bible. You said that with such emphasis, full. We are complete in Christ. The devil's lie is to try to tell you, well, you got to do more. 
Now, we get nervous when we hear stuff like this sometimes as well-meaning Christians because we say, so are we saying then that someone can just pray a prayer, walk down the aisle, go down on the field at a crusade, and they're good. And then we watch their life, and it's like there's nothing there that gives any evidence that they're born again. That's not what we're saying. We're not talking about easy believism. We're saying the second part of our series, it's defending and living the gospel. And when we get to Galatians 5.22, a little bit ahead of us, we're going to see some of the fruits of salvation. Notice, just for a second, here's what they are. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the rest of the list is there. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we get there, we'll look at a, another list. It's the fruit of the flesh. And it is in verse 19. And it's evident. It's immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. I want you to see how many things are relational here. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. That makes me mad just reading that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Disputes, dissensions, factions, Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Not even, not even an exhaustive uh, list. Of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who, what? Practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't think for a moment that Paul is selling easy believism. Selling that you just get your ticket to heaven, you pray the prayer, and you're good. no. Paul is saying, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. But once you're in the faith, don't freak out that you're imperfect on a given day or many moments in a given week. Rest in the grace of Christ. But love, which is the first and preeminent fruit of the Spirit, in fact, scholars would say every other fruit comes from the trunk of love, is the manifestation of in 1 John 3.14, it says, We know that we've passed out of death into life, listen, because we love God's people. If you are void of love, you probably don't know Christ. How can we say, I love God and hate our brother, says John in 1 John. Now, we're all going to have our moments. We're going to have our struggles. Sometimes we describe that as walking in the flesh, even as a believer. Yes, it's true. But we're talking about defending and living the gospel. Both aspects are here. The first part of this sermon or this section is about making sure that we understand the doctrinal part. We're defending the gospel. This is a summary of all that Paul's been talking about in this letter. And the opposite of love we would call legalism. Legalism strips us of our true freedom. We saw that in verse 1. We've got to stand for a minute. Legalism, the opposite of love, focuses uh, on the minors and misses what is major. It elevates, says one writer, what is good to what is essential. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing, is essential. On the other hand, we preserve our freedom in Christ when what is essential to God is essential to us, and everything else is kept in its place. This is why it's so important to understand how we are saved. If you wanted to sum up essential doctrine, here's what it is. 
who is God, and how do you get saved? Don't you think those are the two most important things? Who is God? You've got to know who God is. And how do you get saved? And much of the New Testament puts that before us or will expose false teaching to make sure we've got it right so that we don't get enamored with legalism and start to major on the minors, which has been the history, sadly, of much of the church. Todd Wilson writes, and this is an interesting story. He says, legalism lurks in the shady corners of nearly every Christian community. This is why we can go for months, if not years, and never notice it's there. Legalism's lurking presence in our lives reminds me of a bizarre incident at one of the Park District pools in the Chicago area. A nine-year-old boy went down a water slide, plunged into the pool, and bumped into the dead body of a woman near the bottom of the pool. Much to everyone's horror and disgust, however, they discovered that the body had been in the pool for several days. Even though the pool was open, lifeguards were on duty, people were swimming. Health inspectors explained that because the pool was so murky, no one could see the dead body submerged several feet under the surface. He goes on to say that the most susceptible in our Christian community are the most intensely religious. Legalism loses sight of what ultimately counts. It blinds us to what really matters as we live our lives on the surface and miss what really matters. How could that be? How could you be swimming in a pool a foot above a dead body and not see it? Not know it's there? But this is how it works. And the most religious people in the world, intense, you know, they, they have their scruples, they have their ways, often get enamored with a false gospel because religious pride is a very slippery thing. And what it says is, oh, no, no, it's this standard. It's got to be right here. It's not there. It's here. And we miss the most important things. Behold, verse 2, Galatians 5, NIV, mark my words, I, Paul, you could say with full apostolic authority as a writer of two-thirds of the New Testament letters, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you, NIV, no value to you at all. Now some of you are thinking, what in the world? Because I'm circumcised, you might say. My parents made that decision. No, no, the issue is not that. The issue is that in this setting, circumcision represents legal conversion into Judaism. It says to a Gentile, to a non-Jew, unless you get circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you can't be saved. Let's turn over to the book of Acts. Take a look. This is a big issue in the early church. In fact, this is the Jerusalem Council <clears throat> where this doctrinal issue is hammered out. This is uh, Acts 15. We're going to look at a few verses. Acts 15.1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised, and now we can see a little fuller treatment of this, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And what, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. And so they did. Skip down to verse 5. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the, lo- the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. Let's skip down to verse 9. And this is uh, Peter testifying. He said, He made, God made no distinction between us and them, Jew and Gentile, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, Peter challenges the group. Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, verse 11, that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. James will go on to testify, but here's the bottom line. At that Jerusalem council, at a very early church meeting where there, where there was debate and dissension, it was settled by the mouth of the man who did the preaching, who fills up the first ten chapters of the book of Acts. And Peter says, no, when people respond to the gospel, the moment they believe they get saved, they're born again of the Holy Spirit, you can't be adding things on. Now, we've been careful to clarify that if someone's Jewish and they're circumcised on the eighth day and they decide to keep Shabbat and they keep the dietary laws of Moses, no problem. But you can't do it to think that that's what saves you. If you're a Gentile and you appreciate the Jewish roots of the faith and you've participated in a Seder Passover and saw how the Seder elements are fulfilled in the person of Christ, praise the Lord. Some of you have put what's called a sukkah up during the fall to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The sukkah is like a glorified tent. You kind of decorate it. And it speaks of God's presence with the people and the shelters they built in the wilderness wanderings. It's a way to honor a feast, but don't think that you have to do that to be saved. You don't have to put up the sukkah to be saved. (laughs) You need Christ to be saved. See, this all comes down to who is it that saves you? What do you believe about salvation? Well, I believe in Christ, but there's some small print in there. I've got to do, and then you fill in the list. And this is what has happened with some of the cults and isms of our day. Do you know that some of the major cult experts in the Christian church, the big names have said, the biggest feeder of the cults is the Christian church. Walter Martin said the biggest feeder of the cults in our world are Christian churches and the back door of the church and Christians who are not grounded in essential Christian doctrine. So they hear another group say the name Jesus. They talk about salvation. They talk about studying the Bible. And they're not grounded in the essentials of the faith, so they get enamored by this. And they get pulled into a group that is a non-Christian cult. You say, how could that happen? 
How, how could a person who's heard the gospel and understood the teaching of the Bible get sucked into such a thing? But it's a very real danger. Paul, in many of his letters, is addressing false teaching for that very reason. He starts his letter in Galatians by saying that he marvels that they so quickly are moving away from the true gospel. One more warning passage, Hebrews. Let's turn all the way uh, several pages towards the back of the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, the temptation for these early Hebrew believers or Jewish believers is to go back to the sacrificial system or the law. You want Hebrews 10. And it's because it was so communal. It was so built into their society, going to the temple, offering sacrifice. Some of the people had opened their hearts to Christ, but their friends no longer wanted to hang out with them. They were potentially kicked out of the synagogue, as we talked about last week. So there was a lot of pressure. I, I remember uh, we traveled to Utah a couple different times, and we, were, we have a radio station that airs uh, Walk in Truth in Utah. We rode motorcycles with a group of us, and we were going around witnessing, and we ended up in a yogurt shop by the prodding of Pastor Michael Lance, frozen yogurt. It's everywhere. You got, you got to just, you know, enjoy some things. So anyway, we're in the yogurt shop, and started talking to a young lady who uh, attends the Mormon church, with all due respect to our Mormon friends. Uh, sadly, Joseph Smith preached a false gospel, a gospel of works, a gospel of uh, man's making. And so I began to witness to this woman, and she told me she went to the Mormon church. But then she said in the next breath that she didn't like going, and I said, why? She said, because there's so much pressure. She lived with family members on this block where everybody was a Mormon. And she said it's so hard to live up to their standards. She said there's constant pressure to conform to these standards that she said nobody can live up to. She said, I'd like to go to a Christian church, but she said, I, I couldn't do it. There would be just too much pressure on me. So I went into the church that uh, has this radio station and I preached the message from Luke 15 on the prodigal son. I gave an invitation and a young woman, probably in her 20s, with a couple little kids, both dressed in suits, and I'm talking about suit jackets and the whole thing, came forward at the altar call. This young lady gave her heart to Christ. She was in tears. She went on to say that she had come and visited this church for the first time on that Sunday morning and she said something was telling her to go somewhere else this morning, to go to a different church. And I said, what church do you normally go to? She said, the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. She said, uh, I'm in an argument with my husband. Our relationship is at a really rocky place. And I just felt like something was telling me to come here. And she opened her heart on that front row in Utah, praise the Lord, to the true Christ. But she had a battle ahead of her. And I found out later from some of the uh, workers in that church that she had returned to the Mormon church and she had reconciled with her husband, which that's a good thing. But you can imagine, just think about it for a moment, brethren. Imagine the pressure of someone who's been in a movement, whether it's a world religion their whole life, and they hear the gospel and they so desperately want to be free of religiosity of legalism, which basically forces you to smile with a plastic smile. 
to be religious without the power of God. Who wants to try that? It's hard enough with the Spirit of the living God in you. Amen? To try to put up a front and hit this criteria, that's why suicide rates in these movements, and it's not talked about a lot, but suicide rates in some of these movements are extreme. Because people lose heart. And people start spying on one another and turning in one another. Oh, I saw so-and-so doing this. I saw so-and-so. It's just, it's just this terrible place to be. There's no freedom in it. And when someone comes to your door, as well-meaning as they may be, as much as I've interacted with so many different people and so many different movements, ultimately my question is, what are you relying on? Are you relying on Christ or your good works? Why are you at my door right now? I appreciate your zeal, but why are you here? Are you here because you're concerned about my soul? Because you really want me to understand what you believe so I can inherit the paradise earth or whatever they're selling? Or am I a box for you to check to make sure you're going to be good so you can make it on that day? Because what I found is the moment we want to get into truth and people get an idea that I know a little bit about the Bible, they don't want to talk anymore. Well, wait a minute. If you came to my door because you were so concerned about truth and winning me over to the truth, why the moment that I want to talk about truth do you say you, you got to go now? The van's waiting. It's been running for a while. But if my response would have been different, you would have stayed, no doubt. What's going on with that? Well, I would submit to you that it reveals something else. There's another dynamic at work here. Now, this is Hebrews 10. Here's what it says, verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. These are some of the most prickly verses in the New Testament but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You might say, Pastor Michael, what is going on here? Because that's unnerving. Here's what's going on. This is a group of people tempted to go back to animal sacrifices to make them right in God's eyes instead of trusting in Christ all because they're tempted by their community and by religious pressure to conform back to the former things. And the writer of Hebrews is essentially saying, if you, if you make a statement that you no longer believe that Jesus' blood is sufficient, if you insult the spirit of grace that you've tasted as the gospel's gone forth, and you move away from that truth, there's no more sacrifice for your sin. Because once you dismiss Christ, what's left? Your good works. 
animal sacrifices. And it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? To take away your sin. It can't happen. It's been fulfilled. And the writer of Hebrews is just simply saying, don't go back to that. Because if you do, you are, if I can put it this strongly, you're basically spitting in God's face. See, to be judged is to be outside of Christ. Hell is at the end of a Christless life. That's what is going on here. If you try to go back to a false gospel, Christ will be of no value to you at all, NIV. Christ, New King James, will profit you nothing. Say, how could that be possible? Because the atonement is paid for, the resurrection has happened, but you must apply it to yourself. This is where belief comes in. Okay, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but you must receive that gift into your life, otherwise it doesn't apply to you. Everybody with me? So it has happened. The gift is there. If uh, Here's the way I've put it for some people if you turn back to Galatians. Let's say that I offered you uh, my Bible as a gift. I said to you, I'd like to give you this Bible. It's very valuable to me, uh, but I think it will benefit you, and I offer it to you as a gift. And let's say that someone said, no, I, I won't take that. I won't receive that gift. I offered it to them. It was free, but they wouldn't take it. All right, that's how this works. The Bible says in John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, I know many of you in this room, and I know you've opened your heart to Christ, but here's the doctrine being talked about. You must receive Christ and all he did for you to be saved. And I testify again, Galatians 5, 3, to every man who receives circumcision. Now remember, this, is, this speaks of legal conversion uh, to Judaism, not just the act of circumcision, that he is under obligation to do what? Now he must keep the whole law. Remind yourselves with me in Galatians 3.10. Here's what it says. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone, Galatians 3.10, who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Paul says, if you do that, now what you're going to do is put yourself in an impossible situation where you're going to have to keep the whole law. What's the whole law, you ask? Let me just put it simply. You can't keep it. You ain't kept it. Right? In fact, some of you already broke it on the way here. Right? The law is summed up in loving God with everything that I am and loving my neighbor as myself. Everybody hear that? Man, I have so far to go on loving God with everything that I am and loving my neighbor as much as I love myself. I love you all, but there are many moments in my life when I'm not thinking about my neighbor. I'm just thinking about, this is good for me. Yay! Yippee! Anybody? All right. 
So Paul makes it like a courtroom situation. He says, I testify to everybody that if you do this, if you make this move towards the pressure of this gospel they're preaching to you, you put yourself back under the whole law, and the law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. 2 Peter 2.1 says, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you, 2 Peter 2.1, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. This writer says, You beware of the devilish poison of false religion, because false religion poisons everything it touches. I want you to notice also here when Simon said, Give me this power, Simon the magician, on who, so whomever I lay my hands may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Have you ever heard of P.T. Barnum? P.T. Barnum of the Barnum and Bailey Circus fame? P.T. Barnum, who thought there was a sucker born every minute? That guy. When Charles Haddon Spurgeon, many believed he was the greatest preacher who ever lived, when he was preaching so mightily and so powerful there in London, Barnum heard about it. He thought, I wonder if there is some way I can merchandise that. So he thought, I'll just get the great Spurgeon to come to America. I'll put him in a great hall and I'll charge people to come and hear him. I'll get him to lecture. Evidently, he's a gifted and articulate speaker. There's some way we ought to be able to make some money off of that. So he wrote Spurgeon and offered Spurgeon a proposition and told Spurgeon if he'd come, and he'd make him a wealthy man. Spurgeon wrote back and sent him a wire. He wired him back these words. He just put the verse, Acts 8, verse 20, which reads, Your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money, signed Spurgeon. A story told by Adrian Rogers. You see, this is the issue, and it so appeals to man because it's something I do. It's something I measure. It's something that, you know, I can kind of do my bullet point list. Galatians 5.4, a scary verse says, You've been severed, NIV, alienated from Christ. You who are seeking to be what? Justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now, please, students of the Bible, see the issue. The severing from Christ, the alienation from Christ, is those who are seeking to be what? To be justified by law. Is it possible to fall from grace? Those who look at verbs and tenses of the Greek language say this is a gnomic sense. G-N-O-M-I-C. What does that mean? Well, it means that, essentially, just to put it simply, this hasn't already happened to the Galatians, but they're in danger of it. It's as if Paul is warning them, don't do it, because if you go this way, this is what will happen. You'll end up being severed from Christ. Now, I know the natural next question on a lot of your hearts and minds. Does this verse mean you can lose your salvation? I don't know. <laughs> This is a tough one, right? And this is where this debate lies, right? Some people say, no, once you're genuinely saved, you can't lose your salvation. Other people say, 
uh, well, you know what? If you walk away, if you deny Christ, you can lose your salvation. Let me just put it this way. If you don't have Christ, you don't have salvation. Right? Now, could a genuine believer ever, ever walk away from Christ to something else? I lean in the camp that says no. That if you're born again, you're not going to be unborn again. However, these verses make me stand up and take notice. Amen? And while I believe in eternal security, that anyone who's in Christ is secure, I don't believe in eternal presumption. Amen? What does that mean? I don't think that you should just assume that you're saved. You should examine yourself. Make sure you know the true Christ. Once you know the true Christ, then rest in him, no doubt. But you can see how serious this is as Paul lays this before the group of people. Verse 5. For we, and you can contrast the we with those in verse 4. So now those who are believers in Galatia or Corona or anywhere else. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It will be through the Spirit, not the flesh, not works. Remember last week we looked at the allegory between uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael's birth was an endeavor of the flesh. It was trying to do something outside of God and his promises. The birth of Isaac was a miracle birth based upon a promise, supernaturally accomplished, if you will. That's what we uh, anchor ourselves in. Through the Spirit, by faith, and what are we waiting for? The hope of righteousness. Here's the bottom line of this picture. One day we are going to be declared righteous in God's sight. And that's all that really matters. One day I'm going to be before my Savior, cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the verdict will be not guilty, innocent. He's in Christ. She's in Christ. You can't get more righteous than the righteousness of Christ. Amen? And that righteousness is imputed to you, put into your bank account, if you will, simply by faith as a gift. You say yes, you're born again, and ultimately you will be declared righteous on that day. The verdict will finally be unveiled. One writer says, the, that which is hidden from the world. A person can't look at me and know per se, but on that day it will be revealed at the blessed hope at the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Then the church will be truly seen for what we truly are. Born again, saved, cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, co-heirs with Christ, amen, inheriting a kingdom that he prepared from the foundation of the world. Such good news. Takes the pressure off of me. My hope is not in my performance. God forbid. <laughs> Some weeks I do really, really well. All right? He's saying, you're a pastor. Yeah? Some weeks I do really, really well. Other weeks, not so good. As one, I think it was uh, Moody said, if I wanted to know if a man's really a Christian, I wouldn't ask his pastor. I'd ask his wife. 
Can I get a witness? <laughs> mm -hmm. See, it's easy to look spiritual to a group of people and to say the right words and all of that. But see, we all know our hearts, don't we? We all know what we face. How desperately I need his righteousness. How desperately I need his power to do what I ought to be truly free. Final verse. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. Faith is the root. Love is the fruit. NIV. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. You could say whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, we've done the doctrinal part. Now let me give you the living the gospel part. And we'll do this quickly. I asked at the beginning of this message, what would my life and your life look like if my singular goal for the next week was that my faith expressed itself through love? Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Faith, real faith, true living faith, will express itself. How? In love. In love. The evidence that you and I are Christians is love. I love the story that J. Vernon McGee told uh, in a recent sermon. He said there was a friend, he's a Christian, talking to another friend who claimed to be a Christian. He was concerned about this other friend because this other friend never went to church or gave to the work of the kingdom or anything like that. And so, well-meaning Christian brother says to this other friend that he doesn't see in church or really doing anything active in his faith, he says, uh, you, you don't go to church. You're not with the body of Christ. And the man responded, the dying thief on the cross never went to church. Well, you're not using your spiritual gifts. You're not extending the gospel to others. You're not doing any of that. Well, the dying thief never did any of that. You haven't been baptized and testified to your living faith in the Lord before a group of people and shown that you belong to him. Well, the dying thief never got baptized. You're not giving to the work of the kingdom. You don't, you don't give of your time, talent, or resources. And the man responded, Well, the dying thief never gave anything to the kingdom of God. None of his resources. He said, Ah, well, you know, the only difference between you and the dying thief is he was a dying thief and you're a living one. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Two centuries ago, Jonathan Edwards probed the question, what makes the church like heaven? His answer, it's love. The church's manifestation in time of the glories that are yet to come is not accomplished in the gift of tongues nor in the gift of prophecy, giving, or teaching. It's accomplished in love. The greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our sphere, that the Spirit has poured out on us, that we are citizens of a kingdom not yet consummated, is Christian love. This is all about spiritual priorities. This can become a life verse for you and me. 
faith expressing itself through love. What a great prayer to pray this week. Lord, would you allow me to express my faith to others, Christian and non-Christian alike, through love? Many years ago, we did a men's retreat, and a Nazarene preacher, wonderful gentleman, came, and he was our guest speaker. This was quite a while ago. And I remember meeting him for the first time. We had lunch together, and a, a friend in the congregation recommended that he be our guest speaker. And uh, he was a wonderful man. He had a great style, and he, he said these words. He goes, Pastor Michael, it's very nice to meet you. He goes, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not arguing with anybody. I'm, I'm not opposed to anybody. And he's talking about in the church. I just want to serve Jesus. We had one of the most powerful retreats that I can remember. Here was an old seasoned preacher who said something that resonates with my soul, having spent now about 22 years as a senior pastor in the church. Oh, how we can major on the minors in the church. Oh, how we can get our focus wrong and miss the mark of faith expressing itself through love. And you can fill in the blanks, brothers and sisters, where, you know, you've personally missed it, where I can fill in the blanks where I've missed it. The New English Bible says the only thing that counts is faith active in love. When I stand before him on that day, before that famous Bema seat, I wonder what he's going to say really matters. Because you know what? That's all that really matters. Is that I pleased him. And he is my model of what living faith looks like. He's my model of love. His work on the cross demonstrates his love for us. But his earthly ministry shows me what this looks like. And he healed people on the Sabbath day just to, just to ruffle the feathers of the religious leaders. Amen. <laughs> it's a Sabbath day. It's a Sabbath. I don't care that his blind eyes are open. It's a Sabbath. Right? And Jesus went into places where the religious people were saying, doesn't he know what kind of woman that is? And Jesus says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, you guys. It's the sick. I've got a window of time to express the love of the Father to the world. That's what I'm doing. And God help us that that's what we're doing. Amen? We've had so many things go on in our community, in California, in the world. We can't waste our time on that which doesn't really matter, you guys. And please apply this to your marriage, your ministry, and anywhere else where the Lord may speak to you. Would you bow your hearts? Well, Father, we know that if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. But when faith expresses itself in love, oh man, it's everything. 
Oh, how this world needs to see your love. This is how that you said they will know that we belong to you. God, forgive me. God, forgive us for times that we've missed the mark because maybe we didn't realize what the mark really is. The essential. Faith expressing itself through love. No greater expression of that love than the cross of Christ. Him laying down his rights. Him taking my place at that cross. Thank you, Lord, for that great expression of love. And brothers and sisters, as you're here and you get your heart ready to remember that sacrifice through these elements, just please take a few selah moments, a few moments to just say, Lord, how would you speak to me? What do I need to adjust and amend? What business do I need to do with my God? Just to be aligned with these realities. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Father, I just pray that as these elements are enjoyed by your people, they'll be celebratory, reflective, and hopeful of the future, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this would be a great time to open your heart. If you've been wooed away from, by a false movement, maybe you feel like you got duped, but you're coming back home. Just come back into the arms of your Father. He's always loved you. And even if it was something else, maybe you were hurt, maybe you got yourself trapped in some sin, just come back to the Father. He's ready to restore and refresh your life. Just something just very simple. Jesus, save me. Receive me back to yourself. I repent of my sin and I put my trust and faith in you. Please change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.